The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. We Episcopalians worship in many different ways. And one of the uh, great joys that I had while serving in South Dakota was having the opportunity to learn how Native Americans uh, worshipped as Episcopalians. And periodically, there was uh, just west of uh, the town that I was serving in was an Indian reservation. And the priest there would call me when he was going to be away for an extended period and ask me to... Uh, be on standby in case there were any emergencies or, of course, if there were any funerals. And, of course, there was always a funeral, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> and it seemed that every time he went away, I knew I was going to be called. Well, finally, uh, this, at this particular time, he had uh, called, said he wanted me to be on standby for his people. And shortly after, I had a call to come and do a funeral. And it was a particularly uh, sad one because this family had had two other deaths in the family within about an eight-week period. And this particular person that had died had been the father of a part of that family. We had the, uh, the there were three nights of wake, and that's typical in many of the uh, Indian communities, and then that was followed by really a day-long uh, service that uh, began with people uh, getting the body moved to the church and then people being at the church, uh, going out for the burial, and then coming back for the all-important community meal. And nothing is finished in uh, native country until you have eaten together. And I think that's something probably that all of us need to learn as well. There's something very important about all of us coming together to eat and to share fellowship. But we had had the funeral. We went out to this beautiful old cemetery that overlooked the Missouri River. 
and we were all gathered there where there had been two other burials of this family, and we visited those graves, and then we had the uh, committal of this gentleman. And as the grave was being uh, filled in, as it was being closed, and everybody takes part in that, someone said, oh, look, the eagles, and they pointed up, and there above us were two or three eagles that were circling above the gravesite, directly above us. And I heard that and looked and I thought, isn't it wonderful? The eagles have come back to the Missouri River. And it, I, I took it more as a matter of uh, enjoying the beauty of those eagles. But then when we got back for the community meal, it, the only thing people talked about was the coming of the eagles. Because as we stood there and closed the grave, finally at one point, these eagles divided and they all went different directions. And the oldest son stood up at the meal, and as he talked about what he had seen, he gave thanks to God that the eagles had come to bear his father's spirit to the great spirit. For those people who were gathered in that community who saw the eagles, it was a, a great reassurance that God was taking care of them, that God was taking care of the one that they loved. And it was a way for them to be able to break through the pain of death and to see the possibility of something beyond death. Well, I think that we all need that. And we all approach it from a different perspective, depending on our traditions and the communities that we grow up in and are a part of. And I think that the story that we have in today's gospel is one of those opportunities for us to see a glimpse of the hope that lies beyond. Of course, this uh, account of the raising of Lazarus is, uh, is a, pre a prefiguring of the resurrection. But I want to make clear that there's a difference. Uh, what these people who are brought back to life in Scripture are resuscitated. They are given life again. But what happens to Jesus at the resurrection is a transformation. It is a transformation of life. It is a different kind of body. Because, you know, the accounts where in some cases Jesus appears in a room that's locked and yet they can touch him and they can put their hand in his side. So there's a mystery for us as to what this uh, post-resurrection body is like and what that means for us. But please be clear that what happened to Lazarus was not a resurrection. It was a resuscitation. In the last uh, week, we have had three funerals in this congregation. And I was uh, talking with Lou about that, and, and I realized as I was preparing for this sermon that we have had at least uh, ten families that have been touched by death in a relatively short period of time out of this congregation. And it seems that the intensity of these losses has been concentrated in the last few weeks but I know that it goes on uh, day in and day out for all of us, uh, where extended family and friends are experiencing death and dying. It is a part of our life, and it's, it's always going to be a part of our life. And it's, I think, important for us to recognize that while Jesus healed a lot of people, he never healed someone in order to keep them from dying. There's no sense that he was trying to forestall death. So what we see in this account of the raising of Lazarus is someone who is brought back to life. And there are a number of, of accounts of people brought back to life in Scripture. But Jesus does not seem to say that he is going to stand in the way of death. He's going to stop death. 
but rather he conquers death. I think it's important for us to see that in this uh, passage from the gospel that Jesus knew the pain of loss and grief. I think truly one of the most beautiful passages in all of the gospels is that uh, very simple uh, verse that says Jesus wept. Jesus knew pain of loss and he knew grief. He knew what that was. I can't understand what must have been going through his mind as he stood at Lazarus' tomb and had that momentary sense of deep loss and perhaps uh, empathizing with the two sisters, the pain that they were experiencing and seeing that pain on their face. Jesus did a strange thing, I think, in all of this. Here he was uh, away from them who he cared for so much. And they had sent, sent someone to him and said, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. And I'm sure that what followed was, would you come and heal him? Would you make him well? And Jesus delays. He does not come right away. And in fact, he doesn't come until the fourth day. There's also a sense of death that kind of hangs over all of this uh, passage from uh, the Gospel of John, because we hear that they tried to kill Jesus, that they were trying to stone him. And there's a sense that if he goes back, he's going to be stoned. He's going to die. And even Thomas says, let's go with him. He's going to die. Let's go die with him. And so over all of this is this sense of impending doom and disaster and death. Well, Jesus insists that he's going to walk in the light. He's not going to walk in the darkness there. After all, there are 12 hours of, of light in a day, are there not? So he walks on and goes to visit his friends, Mary and Martha. It would be wonderful if we could know what the relationship was among those four people, because it must have been a, a deep relationship. They must have felt strongly about one another. It would be so wonderful to know how did Jesus interact with those that he really cared about. What was that relationship like? What was he like as a human being with friends, friends that he really cared about? We know that they cared for him and he cared for them because he was the one they were going to reach out to, first of all. Well, he comes, but he doesn't even make it in time for the funeral. And you can imagine how upset uh, his friends must have been. And not only that, it's the fourth day. Now, the, in, the, in the Hebrew tradition, the uh, spirit would linger around the body for three days. But after that, the spirit was gone. Lazarus was as dead as dead can be. Lazarus was clearly not in a coma. He was not asleep. He was dead. And Jesus seems to imply that the delay was in order that God might be glorified to make it very clear that this was extraordinary. This wasn't just uh, someone coming in from the countryside, a rabbi who through some trickery gets someone up after they appear to be dead. No, Lazarus was dead. And then Jesus commands him to come out. And he does. Can you imagine how they must have felt? They had gone from the depths of depression and despair at the loss of their brother. And now he was back among them. But I think we need to acknowledge that death comes to all of us. 
and death is a part of life. And even though, speaking for myself, even though I talk with many people who are going through the process of letting go themselves or of a loved one and dealing with the aftermath of death, I still find it very hard myself to internalize that and to understand what it is that I really truly believe about my own death, my own limitations as a human being. For I am mortal and I will go down to the grave and return to dust. It's hard for us, I think, to consider the possibility of our own dying and to consider that in the presence of God and of the possibilities and the promises that God gives to us. The reality of pain in this life is, is always with us. But there is also always with us the promise of something more. And while Jesus does not stop or God does not stop us from dying, does not save us from having to go through the gates of death, yet there is a promise for us that God has given to us from the beginning. When we pray to God and we wait and we wait for an answer, that too is a part of our lives. All of us have prayed for a particular outcome for someone who is sick or who is dying. And we have prayed that it would go a particular way. And our prayers sometimes, many times, are not answered as we would have them be answered. And I think in those times we must turn to those very beginning sentences from Psalm 130. They go like this. Out of the depths I call to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplications. And then the psalmist goes on in that psalm, and over and over again we hear, wait, I wait, I wait, like the watchman in the watchtower who's been up all through the night and is so tired, can hardly keep his eyes open, but he waits for the dawn. And we too pray, and we wait, and we wait. That too is part of a mature Christian life, to pray and to wait and to trust. I think it's very hard for us sometimes as we see the world the way it is to accept the reality that God doesn't just come by and pat us on the head and say it's all going to be okay. We have to live in a tough world and we have to have a tough, resilient faith in order to live in this tough world. But God promises us that there is something beyond all of this. We hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. They will never die. That real death, that limiting, ever limited death. And we hear also from Romans in today's passage from Romans, we hear about the free gift of God, which is eternal life. I think it's very hard for us to see the possibility in in our in our real flesh and blood lives of death and resurrection as as being something that's really possible for us. It seems so fairy tale like. 
But in fact, if you look around, you will see that we have death and resurrection over and over again in our lives, day in and day out. We see it in our work lives where we think everything has gone down, is, is dying, and then a new opportunity comes that's even better than what we had before. We see it in nature all around us. Just walking in this morning, I thought, yeah, I can, you can smell spring almost. It's almost here. And these dead trees and those, uh, those bulbs that are underground will come to life. There will be new life. And we see it every year over and over again, dying and rebirth. It is a part of our lives day in and day out. It is in our confession when we say that we forgive us for our sins. We die to those sins and we are forgiven and we are given new birth, new life. In a sense, our lives are lived as a sort of Lent. We have to go through this Lenten period and even the difficulties of Holy Week and even the, the desperation and despair that we find on Good Friday in order to experience the resurrection on Easter Day. That is our life. Those are the paths that we must follow. But we follow that path uh, as people of faith, knowing that there is a resurrection knowing that it does not end at the grave. And I give thanks every time I have an opportunity to read it, that at the commendation in our, our burial office, we say, even at the grave, our song is Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Because we believe there is something more. There is something beyond this life and the grave. Today we give thanks for the glimpse of hope that we see in the raising of Lazarus in the faith of Jesus as he stood at that, at that tomb and said, come out, and he came out. And we give thanks also that Jesus, our elder brother, has gone before us and we know that he lives that resurrected life that he promises to each and every one of us. For that, we give God thanks and praise. Amen. Amen.